0: Sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, accelerate your business growth has got to cover. And now on with the show. My guest today is Dr. John DeMartini. John is a polymath and a world renowned human behavior expert. He has five decades of research across multiple disciplines. His work has been described by students as the most comprehensive body of work. and an an extensive library of wisdom, as well as wisdom of the highest and most valuable order. Dr. Demartini's mission and vision is to share knowledge and wisdom that empowers you to become a master of your own life and destiny. He's an internationally published author, a global educator, and the founder of the Demartini Method, a revolutionary tool in modern psychology. His education curriculum ranges from personal growth seminars to corporate empowerment programs. He shares life, business, financial, relationship, and leadership empowerment strategies and empowerment tools that have stood the test of time. Thanks so much for joining me today, John.
1: Well, thank you. I was looking forward to it.
0: I am thrilled to have you here. We're going to be talking about... um, Uh, One of my favorite subjects and something I struggle with at times, and that's motivation. (laughs) (laughs) Can you explain why motivation doesn't work?
1: I would love to. Um, Although it's a, you know, semantics in some respects, but every individual, regardless of gender spectrum or age or culture, lives moment by moment with a set of priorities, a set of values, things that are most to least important in their life. In this hierarchy of values, this list of priorities, whatever's at the top becomes more intrinsic and is driven spontaneously from within and requires no extrinsic motivation to get them to do it. Just like a boy who loves his video games, he doesn't need to have a mom say, now, Johnny, do your video games he just spontaneously does them. But as you go down the list of values and priorities, they become progressively more derived extrinsically, and they require more outside motivation, reward if you do it, punishment, if you don't, in order to get people to do it. So motivation uh, is really a symptom of not living in an engaged way congruently with your highest values. And so in the process of doing that, it's basically making sure that you live by priority that allows you to have literally an intrinsically driven life where you require no external motivation. So I always say motivation is a symptom, never a solution for human beings to master their life.
0: Wow. You know, I remember a long time ago, someone said to me, people do things they see value in. And I thought to myself, nah. That's not true. People will do things that you ask them to do if they don't see value. But the more I paid attention, the more I realized
1: he was right. Well, you know, you can motivate extrinsically people. Sometimes uh, companies uh, use money as a motivation or parents use that as sometimes a motivation. But if you extrinsically motivate people uh, to such a degree that it overrides their intrinsic value, they lose their identity. What's interesting is whatever's highest on a list of values was known even to the ancient Greeks as a priority, because it was called the telos, the end in mind, everything else was a means to an end. And whatever that highest value is, our ontological identity revolves around it. Our teleological purpose revolves around it. Our meaning for life revolves around it. And our epistemological pursuit of knowledge maximizes along it. So identifying what the highest value is is such a crucial component of the mastery of life. I basically put on my website, a complimentary free private value determination process, because most people, when you ask them what their values are, and I've been doing it for 45 years, millions of people, they will tell you a bunch of BS. (laughs) They will tell you what society expects of them and what they think it should be, ought to be, supposed to be, got to be, have to be, must, all the imperatives that are, injected from outer authorities and they end up trapping themselves trying to be somebody they're not instead of honoring who they are
0: wow so i want to learn more about that um value determination thing but so so outside of that are there ways that we can identify what our values are or are we so um influenced by societal norms that it's hard to do on our own
1: well it is um, most people when they first even do the valuation online it's that i mentioned uh want to lie to themselves <laughs> they want it to be what will fit into the herd mm-hmm. instead of going out and being unique and different and getting heard so I had to go through and go through a filtering process to help people discern what their life demonstrates, because your life demonstrates your values, the hierarchy of your values, every perception, decision, and action is based on it. And every decision is based on what you believe in any moment will give you the greatest advantage over disadvantage in the action you take. So your values are really dictating your destiny. And as the values are modified through life, your life's journey is the modification of those values; therefore, the summation of all the destinies or destinations you're pursuing. So, I, I created a value determination process many years ago, and I've been using it around the world. And it's very simple. And if you'd like, I'd be glad to go through it. I think it'll help everybody who might be listening. I think that would be great. Thank you. The first one, um, first value determinant is space. Uh, you have proxemics, which is your intimate space, which is about a foot and a half around you, your personal space is about four feet, your social space, which is about, oh, 10 to 12 feet and your public space, which is beyond that. And anything that's extremely valuable to you, you keep in your personal and intimate space. It's very valuable, it's in the intimate space. You won't let certain people in your intimate space unless they're very valuable to you, maybe your spouse or your children but anything outside the personal space is things that you're a little bit more cautious of letting in. So if you look proximically at your space and look at where you spend most of your time and look at that space, you will surround it with the things that are most valuable to you. Today it's very common to have a computer in front of you, (laughs) or maybe a cell phone in front of you. But if you look at what are the top three items that you fill your personal and intimate space with most, this reveals to you what you value. Now it's not just the item, but what the item allows you to do. It's the purpose you have that item. For instance, my computer for me is research and teaching. So I'm inputting information and I'm disseminating information through this computer. So this is one of the most valuable things I have. So you look at what you fill your space with most, most consistently in time, and what it identify what its primary purpose is. And that gives you a very good indication of what you really are valuing. The second value determinant is time. You make time, find time, and spend time on things that are valuable to you. But you don't want to spend time on things that aren't. So you figure out how to navigate through your world to try to get time for things that are important. So you look at what you're, you're looking from a drone's perspective, watching you 24 hours a day for a period of time, and look at what do you find your time doing. And you may say, well, I got to go to work. Yeah, but you have a value on financial security. That's why you're there. And you haven't found a more efficient way of doing it other than the job you have. So you're actually going to work, not for the work, but for the financial security possibly, unless you really love what you're doing. And then you may be going because of that. But you look at how you spend your time next. And by the way, there will be a pattern that's that's gone through these. There's 13 of these uh, determinants and a pattern will be revealed very shortly as you go through them. The third one is what energy, <clears throat> anything that raises your energy is high in value. Anything that lowers energy is lower in value. So you're inspired and energized by things that you get to do that are really high in value. And it drains you having to do things that are not. If you say, I got to do it, it drains you. If you say, I love to do it, it energizes you. So you look at where you have the greatest energy accumulation. And when you start something, if you have more energy after than when you started, that means it's high on your values. If it's more drained after it, it's low on your values. So you look at space, time, and energy. Those are the top three. And there'll be a pattern. The fourth one is resources or money. You make money, find money, and spend money on things that are valuable to you. You make sure you get the money for it. You won't want to spend money on things that aren't. And of course, if you're married and you have two different value systems, you'll think the spouse is wasting money on things that aren't important to you and vice versa. But what is important to you, you find money for and you get money for it. And people that have a high value on their children will find money for children. They have a high value on asset accumulation and wealth building, they'll find money for assets and investments. If it's for their health and they'll do fitness. If it's for traveling, it's traveling but whatever's highest on the value you always find money for, and you'll concentrate the expenditures accordingly. A hierarchy of your values dictate your financial destiny. The fifth one is where are you most organized and ordered? Now, in my case, because teaching and researching is very high, I have a credible order and organization in all my, all the work that I have, all the information on my computer. But some people they have a high value in their social life and it's ordered, or maybe their dinners and social functions or maybe their fitness routine, or their spiritual practices, or maybe their business, or maybe their wealth building. But whatever is highest on your value, you have the greatest order and you have the greatest uh, organization. So again, you'll see a pattern if you're looking honestly at the answers. You're not here to write down what you think it should be, what you would think it ought to be or supposed to be. You write down what it actually is, watching yourself with a drone looking over you. The next one is where you're most disciplined, reliable, and focused. You're disciplined and reliable. A young boy who has a high value on video games is reliable to do that. An individual who's taking care of the children is reliable to do that. But if it's low on your values, you procrastinate, hesitate, and frustrate. You don't want to do it. So you look at where you're most disciplined, where you're reliable. I'm reliable to research and teach, but you're not going to get me to drive and cook. (laughs) I haven't driven in 32 years and haven't cooked since I was 24. But if you look carefully, that's it. That's the first six now. Number seven is what are you thinking about, about how you would love your life to be that shows evidence of coming true? If there's no evidence, it's not, that's not, you don't write anything that has no evidence and you only write something that you would love to have come true. So in my case, I wanted to travel since I've been a young boy and I wanted to be a teacher traveling the world. And so my life demonstrates that. So what is it you'd love to do? that you're thinking about that you would love to do that shows evidence of coming true. The next one is what are you visualizing? You know, your your thought process is your frontal cortex and frontal cortex predominantly, but your visual cortex is your occipital region. So I'm looking through the brain at what your brain consistently is targeting. It's a gestalt if you're honest and integral. So if you go and look at what exactly you're visualizing about how you would love your life to be, that shows evidence of coming true. And, you look carefully. If there's no evidence, don't write it down. Now my life has evidence that I travel and teach, full-time travel and teach. So there's evidence there. If there's no evidence, you don't write a fantasy, you write down what there's evidence of. Because your life, you manifest things that are really high in your values. You find a way of getting them done. When the why is big enough, the hows take care of themselves. The next one is what are you saying to yourself with internal dialogue about how you would love your life to be that shows evidence coming true? This is the temporal lobe now. And what this is is basically identifying what are you internally talking to yourself? Negative self-talk is not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the affirmative self-talk about how you would love your life to be that is actually coming true. You know, I've said to myself that I'm an international professional educator, I'm traveling all over the world to speak, and I've now spoken in 176 countries. So there's evidence of that. The next one is, what do you converse with other people about most? And what do you keep wanting to bring the conversation to? If somebody comes up to you and says, how's your children? They're probably have a high value on children. How's your golf game? High value on golf game. How's your business? How's your investments? How's your health? They'll let you know what is their highest value by what they want to keep bringing the conversation to. And that's an indication. So you look at what do you converse about most and keep wanting to talk about most and get engaged and can talk all night about it once you get engaged. And you answer three answers for each of these questions. The next one, is what inspires you. What inspires you and brings a tear of gratitude on the moment of authenticity when you're doing something and what's common to the people who have inspired you. When I look at my life, the people who have inspired me have been the great Nobel prize winners, the great philosophers, the great thinkers, the great educators and orators. So I look at my life and that's what it's being demonstrated. So you look at what inspires you, it may be music, it may be watching a child being born, it may be watching a marriage ceremony because maybe intimate love is part of your your mission in life and high value. But what brings the tear of gratitude? A tear of gratitude is a confirmation of authenticity and a moment of congruency. The next one is what exactly are the top three goals that you have persevered consistently on that are showing evidence of coming true? They may not be fully actualized, but they're showing evidence of coming true. That gives you an indication of again, what's valuable to you, because things are really important to you, you don't let go of. You persevere, you're determined, you have grit to to endure whatever obstacles it is and have resilience to pursue it. And the very last one is, what do you spontaneously want to read, study, learn about, watch on YouTubes and videos? What do you want to feed your mind? Because whatever is valuable to you you spontaneously want to learn. When you find out children that are uninspired by classes and are labeled attention deficit, they can actually have six hours of concentrated focus on another area and finding out where they have attention surplus order, not attention deficit disorder allows you to know what their highest value is. You spontaneously want to learn about what's important to you. If you answer three answers, 39 answers for these 13 questions, you'll see that there's repetition to the answers and a pattern. And the ones that show up most frequent will be the highest value, second most frequent will be the second highest value, and third will be the third. And this is very profound if you're wanting to go to work, because nobody goes to work for the sake of a company, they go to work to fulfill what they value most. And so if you're, we're going to hire somebody, if you don't know what their top values are, you're probably going to end up micromanaging, have to externally motivate them. And because that means the job description in their mind is not in connected in their mind is not helping them fulfill what they value most. If it is, they're spontaneously engaged. If not, you have to motivate them. And motivation's a symptom, never a solution for companies. Wow. That's
0: incredible. And, and okay, so, I, you know, I guess my question is, if I, if I flip it around to a company that's hiring how do they hire effectively then there are there, it feels to me like then we're like, we're not asking the right questions.
1: You just nailed it. (laughs) The quality of your life is based on the quality of the questions you ask. And the the greatest question is the ones that make the unconscious conscious. You can be fully conscious. But one of the great questions you ask is first, you go through those questions that I just outlined. And I would never hire anybody. I don't even think about hiring anybody until I know what they're committed to because they're committed to their highest value. In a relationship, people have the fantasy that somebody's committed to them. But the reality is that the individual you're marrying is committed to their fulfillment of their values. And if they see you helping them fulfill their values, they're interested in you. <laughs> wow. We don't want to, we, we want to live in a fantasy, but that's not really how it works people are committed to their values. And if you do enough stuff that challenges their values, they start thinking maybe this isn't working for me. So, you know, you're, you're, when you're looking for a mate, you're, you're trying to find somebody that's, you know, physically fit. So if you had to look at your own child, you'd be able to do it. (laughs) You're looking for somebody that's, that's intelligent. You're looking for somebody that's ambitious. You're looking for somebody that's got, you know, some resources, somebody that loves, and has, wants to have intimacy with you, somebody that's socially savvy, somebody that's physically inspired and, and, and spiritually inspired, you're looking for the best package to help you fulfill your highest values in life. And the same thing at work, you're wanting people to, when you hire people to be engaged, the highest level of engagement is what you want in the business, it increases efficiency, effectiveness, space and time horizons, innovation, creativity. I mean, it's, uh, I could go for hours on that. So the first thing I do is I do the value determination process to find out what they're committed to. That's what I can rely on. You're only reliable to fulfill and do things and make decisions according to what's going to help you fulfill your highest values. If you think anything else, anytime you expect another individual to live in your values, not their own, you're going to be betrayed. It's not because they're betraying you. It's because you're betraying you by projecting an unrealistic expectation on them. Wow. So if you're hiring somebody, you want to have a very concise, very detailed, broken down, specific to the various action steps that are going to be required in that job duty. Not broad, vague generalities like sales, but the actual action steps are going to be doing and accountable for on that job description. Then when you're hiring somebody, you go through the normal screening process that's standard out there, right? You may go through and do a check, a reference check, you may go and test some skills and things like that. But I do the value determination process and the value screening process, because it's a goldmine. I can, I can predict who's going to be there and who's going to be productive and who's not in advance. And I've done it and proven it over and over for many years. I've trained many, many consultants and companies that way. So you ask this question, and this is a very powerful question, how specifically is this job duty and responsibility helping me fulfill my highest value? You ask them that. If they hesitate, and have to move their eye motions, have to move their eyes to scan in their radio receiving and broadcasting system of their brain for an answer, you put an X because that means that they can't see how that job duty is going to help them fulfill what they value most. You ask again, how specifically is this job responsibility helping me fulfill my highest value? If they hesitate and procrastinate on an answer, even for a second, you put an X because that means that they're going to have to be reminded, retrained, and motivated. Because anytime something does not engage in the highest value, you're going to have to, it's going to go into short term memory. It's like cramming for a test you really don't want to study. But if you go in and they answer it fluently, congruently with a vasoconstriction parasympathetic response, or a a certain response to the eyes, and you can see their faces lit up, and they're engaged and, and, and enthused and inspired by that duty, then you see an engagement. You see a person that's going to spontaneously intrinsically do the job without having to be reminded or motivated or keep being retrained. So I go through the job description one by one, line by line, and I go through and do an assessment and I do a one to 10 scale, 10 meaning it's fully engaged, one meaning not engaged. And I do an assessment, I get a percentage of engagement in advance for that job duty. And I can guarantee you that is amazing because what you'll find is, I've done this on people who've been working for many months or years and people that are new. And I've shown that the engagement level that they have measuring it with connects or other means, when they go and do this evaluation, I can nail them and find out what that's going to be before they even do those tests. So it's a very powerful little tool to, to discern in advance whether or not you've got the individual that's going to be working for you going to be engaged and saw spontaneously, as McGregor said, spontaneously inspired from within to do the job so you could free yourself up to do your job and not have to micromanage. Right. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology
0: So I've thought an awful lot given um, the past couple of years and the challenges with hiring that companies have to change the way they're hiring um, and because the old model doesn't work, and that potentially they need to be growing their own. So I'm listening to you and I'm thinking if if companies hired for values, if they could identify, you know, what someone's, you know, highest values were then potentially they could train them on the functions that match those values and they'd be successful. Is that
1: the allocation, the allocation of, of, of job duties. If they're congruent, you got a very productive individual. I went into a publishing company in New York when I was doing a, a publishing of some books of mine and, uh, One of them, I did evaluation on the employees, and it was interesting. When you think of values, most people think of some sort of moral and ethical, uh, this is how you're to function and be in this company. Mm -hmm. And it's an autocratic top-down projection of some individual's idealisms, usually onto people and expecting and then creating all kinds of punishment rewarding systems in order to get them to function in this little box. It's kind of like a live by duty and deontologically instead of by design ontologically. And so I went in there and I I asked if anybody even knew what the values were of the company and nobody could answer (laughs) even though they were printed everywhere. And then I said, okay, that's interesting. People have this delusion about what these values are, but each individual has a set of values. Even a single celled organism has a set of values because there's certain tonic and toxic elements in the environment that a cell will seek or avoid. And we have, in in, during gestation during nine months, these values are evolving from single cell zygotes all the way into differentiated human beings when they're born. And then from birth all the way through, we're we're acquiring new pains and pleasures and rewards and punishments, and we're retweaking it. So when we go for a job, we have already a set of values. We don't need to impose it. The old blank slate or, you know, tabula rasa idea of the 1950s of children born blank is absolutely not true. They have a vast array of values already coming into the world. And instead of projecting autocratically with authority onto people, what they're supposed to have as values, which does not work and creates in-group out-group biases and all kinds of problems, um, it's finding out what it is and respecting another individual for their unique hierarchy of values, and honoring and respectfully in a sustainable, fair exchange manner, how to communicate what you would love in terms of what they would love. The mastery of that is the mastery of business and the mastery of sales and the mastery of relationships. And so finding out what those values are and not projecting, but actually respectfully communicating in those values and respectfully delegating in those values and respectfully acquiring or or offering job responsibilities according to those values is a goldmine
0: yeah right and if and then it feels to me like you can have people that this resonates with having people who are just in the wrong job right so the, absolutely they're, yeah they're potentially really valuable to the company they're just doing something that they just cannot
1: uh find value in they they don't see how it's helping them fulfill their value now this 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 spills over into education too um I've I've gone into education. I had a, a place in Africa, Alexander Township, where only 27 out of 100 kids were passing the matric test, wow. a high school, uh, you know, final test. This is in extreme poverty. I mean, they don't have desks, they don't have books, they got holes in the floor, dirt. It's they don't even have food. I mean, it's what they had. So 27. We went in there and brought in the value application, which I call teaching today for tomorrow's children. And we brought that into the children and put up to 97% in one year. Wow. And what we did is we found out in advance what the values of the teachers were. Then what we did is we linked the actual classes and topics and subtopics that they were going to teach to those values. This was a four hour project. Then we went in on the day of the, the, first day of classes, we went in with the kids and we identified their values, which they love doing. And we explained to them that you will come to work if you can learn something that's meaningful to you. They love learning, whatever is high on their value. And then what we did is we took the curriculum that they're going to be taking for the semester or term, we were then going to, we linked that to their values so they could see, we put 25 links per class so they could see how taking that class is going to help them fulfill what was important to them. Then we'd one more four hour session. This whole thing took 12 hours. Then what we did is we took the teachers and the children's identified values, And the teacher then had to link all the children's values, because we found a composite summary of the children's values and put them into a prioritization. The one that showed up, the the value that showed up most frequently in all the children down. And then we asked, how is those values helping you fulfill yours and how is the teacher's values helping the children fulfill theirs? So there was more respect and more of an equal communication, more of a dialogue instead of alternating monologues, because that's what's happening when you have an autocratic system. And that's those three things in 12 hours work turned it from 27 to
0: 97%. And there were less
1: missing classes, less attention deficit labels, less medications, all the stuff that goes on that's absolutely superfluous and a symptom, not a solution. Right, right.
0: Yeah. So we're all looking at the wrong things and trying to fix the wrong things and wondering why it's not working.
1: Well, the Paul Dirac, the Nobel Prize winner, said it's not that we don't know so much, it's that we know so much that isn't so.
0: (laughs) Frustrating. Um, This is so fascinating to me. Uh, And I'm so grateful for you spending this time because this is something that, like this whole topic is something that that, um, frustrates people a lot. But listening to you talk about it and realizing that Really comes down to our intrinsic values, and then we you know we don't need to fight against it so much, I guess individually. we just need to really identify what those values
1: are and move forward with them exactly what, what's interesting is when you live by your very highest most intrinsic value, your most objective because the blood glucose noction goes into the forebrain and activates the executive center, which modulates, moderates and dimmer switches the impulses and instincts of the survival center in the the amygdala. And this executive center literally creates increased reason and objectivity, which is a balanced mind. When that occurs, instead of having this highly subjectively biased impulse, instinct, seek and avoid prey predator mentality, which is basically the mass media's sensationalism, you're more objective with the facts instead of fictions. In that case, your autonomic nervous system comes into homeostasis, your resilience and adaptability maximizes, and you're now able to handle life on top of the world instead of being on the bottom of the world, where the world's on top of you. So it helps you in your health, it increases your longevity, and you increase your achievement levels and your leadership levels. I could go on for hours on the impact this has by being congruent with what's highest.
0: Yeah, no kidding. And I can totally see that. Um, as you're talking about it, I, I, it makes so much sense to me and I can really see how um, it elevates leadership skills and, and really frees, one of the things I heard you say is that it really frees the leaders up to go do the things they should be doing instead of having to micromanage the people around them and try and get them to do
1: things that, they, that are not their highest value. Exactly, and if you're if you're not delegating, see, I I learned many many years ago at age 27. I'm 68 now, just a month or two. And uh, what's interesting, 40 plus years ago, I I learned that if I require any form of extrinsic motivation or reminding to do something, delegate it. Find somebody that would love to do it, so I can do the thing that I'm intrinsically called to do. Most people don't believe they can self actualize their life that way, but they can. And what's interesting, they will make way more income if they do, (laughs) because you will be more inspired to be a sustainably fair exchange service with people, because you can't wait to go and do it. And you will pursue challenges that inspire you instead of avoiding challenges that don't. And you'll create stress, not distress, and you'll be vital instead of sitting mechanical. In the process of doing that, you will end up with way more accomplishment, way more fulfillment, way more meaning in life than if you sit there and try to live by duty, And you can't live by design. It's just a matter of organizing your life and prioritizing. And what you do is you give job opportunities, you help the economy, you help build families, schools. I mean, the ripple effect of being congruent and doing what you're inspired to do and exemplify what's possible for human beings, draws, magnetizes opportunities and people who want to be around people that are truly an executive leader. Somebody who's exemplifying what's possible. As Einstein said, that's the greatest teacher.
0: I am so glad that you just said that, because that was going to be my next question about um, business owners who find themselves not doing things that they know need to be done in their business. And that's what you're talking about. Delegate it. Give it to someone else who does hold it as a highest value, because they'll do it really well.
1: Well, many people when they're doing the value determination or try to answer the first time they do it a little broadly, they'll say, well, business is my highest value. No, not business. Specific actions in business are narrow it down. Mine is teaching, researching and writing while I travel. I live on a ship that the big yacht goes around the world and travel all over the world constantly. So I basically, I want to travel the world and teach and research and write. And so everything else is delegated. I got somebody for cooking, I got somebody for cleaning, I got somebody for my piloting, I got somebody for, you know, chauffeur, I've got people for the captain for the ship. Everything else is delegated, all administration, marketing, sales, social media, everything else is delegated to specialists. So I can teach, research, and write throughout the day.
0: Oh, that's so great. That's a great example. Wow, John, I am so grateful that we had this conversation. I know it's impacting me dramatically, so I am confident that it is also impacting the listeners. Um, And speaking of them, will you share, uh, you know, how they can learn more about what you're doing and get in touch with that, please?
1: Yeah, they would love to, if they can handle more of me. (laughs) Yeah, It's, it's simply going to Dr dmartini.com d-r-d-e-m-a-r-t-i-n-i.com and on there is an educational website you could spend the rest of your life on there um you know just learning because there's if you go to media there's thousands of interviews articles podcasts YouTube's you name it and um it's just an educational i i full-time educate every single day that's so great what a great example you are
0: of of actually you know being able to do it
1: well, you just got to give yourself permission to be you. The magnificence of who you are is far greater than any fantasies you'll ever impose on yourself. That's You're not right. going to be great at being seconded to others. You might as well be first at being you.
0: Yes, right? Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. And listeners, thank you. You are who we're doing this for. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts.